Welcome to World of DAS, a show for data enthusiasts. I'm your host, Warren Hoffman, CEO of SafeGraph. For more conversations, videos, and transcripts, visit safegraph.com slash podcasts. Hello, fellow data nerds. Uh, my guest today is Will Marshall. Will is the co-founder and CEO of Planet, a company that owns and operates hundreds of satellites that produces images of the Earth. Planet has over 100 million in revenue and from over 600 customers. Will, welcome to World of DAS. Hey, pleased to be here. Awesome, awesome. Now, Planet first launched its satellites in 2014. And within four years, you were collecting images basically from the entire world. To me, this seems like incredibly fast. Like, what's the non-obvious thing that made this possible? Well, I would say the answer to that question is Agile Aerospace. Uh, we we uh, Agile, pioneered... okay, what's Agile Aerospace? I'm just going to tell you. So, Perfect, okay. So what software companies, you know, you've probably heard of software, Agile Software, which is, yep. you know, the release early release often, test out the software with customers or, with, you know, in a sandbox and then iterate as quickly as possible. Um, and that leads to fast development. Um, and and we've done the same with, with Aerospace. So... Um, we over the last five years, we've averaged four launches a year. So roughly every three months uh, or so, they don't often spread out evenly like that, but roughly every three months on average, we've got a new launch and it, we put up a late next generation of satellites in each one. Every time. How many satellites have, per launch that go in per launch? Ranges from a couple to 88 was our, our oh my largest, gosh. which is, was a world record, that one. Okay. But, but generally, think about it, 20. And okay. when we launched 20, we put up two that have a next generation sensor or a next generation radio or a next generation hard drive or a next generation. Oh, and, and then you're testing it out and seeing if it works. And, and then uh, the following fleet will be made of all of those satellites. Also on the software domain, we're constantly updating our software. I mean, you'll be surprised. We have interns that come to us, <laughs> our company, and we give them the keys to the satellites and they're like, what? We're like, okay, just don't upload software to all of them at once and brick them all because that would be annoying. But generally, I mean, we've got lots of fail saves actually. It makes it, it's pretty hard to brick our satellites. But, you know, unlike something on the ground, you can't go up and press the reset button. So there are certain processes, but generally we, we, we iterate the software on board really rapidly too. Every week we're uploading new software and so it, making them more efficient, both in terms of their operations and, and also and eventually doing processing of the imagery up there. So you can imagine how we're you know, increasingly turning space more like the software domain and certainly, uh, mo most importantly, bringing space um, up to date with Moore's law. So, you know, taking all the latest generation in the electronics, so in your yep. phones and in your computer and other consumer electronics and putting that in and, and by doing that, keeping space strapped to Moore's law, as I call it. So, so if you have 400 satellites up, up there somewhere, like they actually could be 400 different satellites with slightly different software and different components and different, and they're, they're as you're, as you're, and they're just keep, keep iterating to get better and better. Is that right? Yeah, sure. I mean, we do it in, in fleets. So yeah. maybe a bit more like uh, if you get a few hundred people together, they have slightly different models of iPhones in their pocket or yep. Android okay. phones. But but yes, sure. Um, there are different models. And, and it's our job to make it sure it's backwards compatible. <laughs> so if you ever use data from our first satellites, you can use it from the latest satellites. But it's also our job to constantly iterate. And again, just like you don't want a three-year-old phone in your pocket, you don't even want a three-year-old satellite in space because it becomes obsolete. You know, yeah. our next generation satellites that we've launched last year, 
produce five times more data than the previous generation, you know, than uh, per day, per satellite, roughly wow. the same cost. Yeah. So our job is to make more capability in that box. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I see Planet as a data company, kind of not an analytics company and not a space company, right? I, I, I think I, I see your data as kind of these persistent images of the Earth. And then, of course, you have this proprietary way of getting the data. You launch satellites. And do you see it similar or do you see a kind of a different way of, of describing Planet as a company? No, exactly the same. You're, oh, all right. We well, are this a is data great. company. Um, and, and look, we, of course, have satellites and we're yeah. a satellite company. We're, of course, uh, a data company and we're also a software company. Um, you know, we build a lot of software to process all the data. But the most important thing is that we service data to our clients. So, you know, um, we service imagery and, and analytics thereon to agricultural clients. We service that to mapping clients. We service that to government clients because that's what our consumers and our clients use, right? Um, they don't buy satellites. They, they don't buy software. They buy data and analytics feeds. I actually liken it to Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg terminal, you know, services, is, is, is data uh, for financial services, of course. Uh, the only difference, in, 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 and, you know, the great thing about Bloomberg is that it's high margins, high growth, because the margins are high because you sell a data feed a second time. Yep. The incremental costs are very, very low. Um, and it's high stickiness, you know, because you, your data is embedded into their workflow. The only difference is twofold. One is, uh, we have a proprietary data set. <laughs> Bloomberg yep. mainly aggregates public source financial data. We are, uh, 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 you know, we obviously have a unique 200 satellite fleet that images the whole planet every day. That's a unique data set. Not only is it hard to get that data set because you have to launch hundreds of them, but it's impossible as far as I'm aware. And I'm a physicist and I spent some time thinking about this. You can't go back in time yes. and collect, you know, Not yet, the last yeah. <laughs> few years of data, even if you erect that system. Yep. And actually that's archive of data is what enables us to build the machine learning on top, which is in incredibly important for our analytics. And the second difference with Bloomberg is that we service many different vertical markets, right? So uh, Bloomberg mainly Agriculture, you serve you, you, right, yeah, yep. Exactly. You okay. know? And so we think of it Bloomberg plus plus, but Bloomberg is a good way of thinking about it. People do get confused about our business model. People get very excited about the satellites, to your point. Like, yeah, we're really a data company. I when, when people do get confused about that, I say, if you think of Planet as a satellite company, then you, you should think of Google as a server company. Yes, you yes. Know? Because, yes, they have lots of servers and that's the hardware back end. But just like servers are back end to Google, uh, satellites are back end to us. Now, our satellites are a little bit more sexy than Google's uh servers so people do get excited about them i do too i'm a space geek but um in the end the services are data service so we're much more like um a, a bloomberg than now, if are. i'm a data consumer let's say i'm a data scientist one of the, the hard one of the hard things about using imagery data is that the data is very 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 large how has the sophistication of your customers evolved over the last few years to use that type of data it's a great question i mean actually this is a Really fascinating point. I mean, we have yeah, 25 terabytes a day of imagery, uh, over three or four million images a day from these satellites. Um, it's a vast data set, right? Um, yep. Um, and and most, uh, you know, we, we think of the, all this value, you know, uh, starting and helping people recover from floods in Germany right now, or, you know, like people uh, using it for security and finding out new threats, like where's all these fleets of ships? Uh, protecting coral reefs, you know, improving agriculture. But if, if, we, if I'm real, a lot of those users can't yet val get value from the data because yeah. it's so much. 
um it, it actually you know uh, so google gets value of it out of it for maps because they have sophisticated uh, you know geospatial sure. teams um ag big ag companies get value out of it because they know how to process a satellite imagery um governments get value out of it yep. because they, they have big teams doing that but you know the small insurance company the little hedge fund the you know the the, the developer can't and and uh, so we're working hard to build the analytics to go up the stack to help them we just hired Kevin Wheel, who's uh, our yeah. head of product. Amazing guy, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Been friend and, for a long time, yeah. And he 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 leads uh, product for Twitter and then Instagram. And at Twitter, he uses an analogy that they had the data firehose, the Twitter firehose, right? Yep. And they were selling it to people, and they thought this was the best thing since sliced bread. And yes, like once again, Google got value out of it. Certain governments got value yeah, out of it. But data miner. Yeah. Yep. Can't get value out of 500 million tweets a day in 100 different languages and so on. Um, and what they started doing is adding certain analytics, like okay. We'll just tell you how often your brand as a company is mentioned and yeah. the sentiment around that brand. Yep. And then that was something useful to lots more people. Now, so somewhat analogously, we have a fire hose of data coming down from our satellites. <laughs> um, as we add certain analytics, many more people will be able to provide, get access and get value from that data. And so that's what we're building. So with time, I think it will it will move away from the geospatial expert uh, enterprises to the um, uh, the folks with just data science, and then maybe to the folks with no not even data science. You know, well, at, at the same time you're you're adding all these analytics, there does seem to be another motion going on in a macro environment, and that the these data scientists are becoming more and more uh, lethal because they have more and more tools around them. So the, the data scientists today, even that may not be able to use your data just because the, the tools around them are getting so much better and so much more powerful in three years, they may be able to use your data. And so you, you are going to have a larger group of buyers regardless, even if you didn't go into analytics. Is that, do you see it the same way? Definitely. I mean, look what has happened in computer vision over the last uh, five uh, years. It's in, in, incredible, right? Um, computer vision has been one of the most successful areas of machine learning, extracting information out of imagery. Um, you know, it, it was a lot pioneer for pulling out cats and dogs from <laughs> pictures you put on Facebook or <laughs> YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the same technology underlying those neural networks can be used to extract out roads and buildings or ships and planes or trains or trees, whatever it is, out of our imagery. In yeah. fact, you know, I gave a little TED talk about this, but it liken it to building a, a bit like Google indexed what's on the internet and made it searchable. We're basically with it, machine learning and computer vision, we can extract out all the objects on in every picture. If we do that for the whole world and do that every day, we basically build up a database of where everything is on the earth over time. Amazing. And that is then searchable, a bit like Google has figured out how to search the internet. We're figuring out how to search the physical planet. And even if you don't do that, like you could have customers that do it or partners that do it or right, yeah. and all these other. OK, in, interesting. So, in, in, OK, now not knowing that much about your market, like if I was going to try to create a competitive planet, um, right, let, let, let's spitball for a second. Like I, I would try to maybe like incent low flying planes and drones with a camera to try to collect data continuously. Like why would my crazy scheme not work? OK, well, um Planes, it's tricky because of area coverage. So planes travel at, you know, a couple of hundred miles an hour, whatever they do. Um, and, you know, that's about a hundred times slower than our satellites. And they cover, in, if you, you look at the swath width, it would be about 10 times less at least. Yeah. Um, 
And so that's a thousand times less imagery per day per, per plane. So to cover the same area, you're going to have to have, you know, 100,000 planes or 200,000 planes to cover the same areas of yeah. 200 satellites. Yep. So that's a lot of planes. That's a lot of planes. Then yeah. separately, you're going to have to go and get uh, permission to fly those planes in every jurisdiction, in every county, every city, yep. every country. And whereas and North, North Korea to, is probably not allowing me to fly my planes nor, there or something like that. China yeah. and yeah. nor will India and many other places. And, and, and whereas space, we are actually outside the territory of countries. Uh, yeah. the ter their territorial airspace goes up to 100 kilometers and thereafter it's space. And space, uh, it, become, it became international law uh, that anyone can fly over anyone's territory and take a picture from space. It's partly because of the distance. It's partly because you can't very well fly up to Russia and turn left. You're in a yeah, normal, yeah. you're going to go over it. And, yeah. you know, they can't just say you can't take a picture. The, you know, in the US and Russia during the Cold War said, well, okay, we'll let each other do that. We will only let each other fly planes. And then it became international law that anyone can fly a satellite over. That also means North Korea could, in principle, fly a satellite over the US and take right, a picture. Right, and right. there's nothing to stop them from doing that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so so we're allowed to do that. Whereas your plane idea, you'd have to go and get permission from everyone. Okay, good, got good it. Luck. Okay, that, that does seem quite hard. Okay, um, now okay, you you sell and really expensive. Yeah, and very expensive. Well, well, good people point. Think, yeah. you know, people, it's a funny point. People think, well, aerial imagery or drones, it's going to be much cheaper. Yes, the actual cost of the drone is cheaper than the cost of the satellite. But when you factor in the area coverage, yeah, per unit area, our imagery is far cheaper than collecting it by drones. So, yeah. for example, drones for agriculture makes no sense to me. Um, in almost all agricultural cases, our resolution suffices and it yeah. enables precision agriculture. And you, you, you know, and the cost wins because we're much, much lower. There are certain applications of drones for imagery, like building sites, where you need to know brick by brick. We haven't got the resolution, so it might make sense to use drones. But you have to think about the application. Certainly, if it's wide area coverage, satellites are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. Now when you sell really valuable data, but of course there's lots of other data, like in, in the geospatial data world, like SafeGraph where I work sells geospatial data. There's companies like CoStar and CoreLogic that have geospatial data. Like, how do you see yourself partnering with these like hundreds of other companies that also provide data? Well, I want to collaborate. I want to mix and match our data. Uh, when you, we, we launched last year our first fusion product, data fusion product uh, that married our data with the uh, Landsat data and the Sentinel data from NASA and the European Space Agency, respectively. And it gave the sort of radiometric accuracy of those satellites, which are really, really good at radiometric accuracy. Like yep. how many photons turn into how many electrons on oh my gosh. CCD. Well, and then to accurately know things... Um, and yet it, it, with our resolution, which is much better than those systems, and temporal resolution, which is much better. And now we have this color-balanced, radiometrically accurate daily image that's cloud-free at three-meter resolution using those. It's one plus one equals three, or one plus one plus one equals five in this case yep. or something. But, you know, like it's always synergistic. You get more value than the sum of the parts. So I'm excited about, you know, merging with other geospatial or even non-geospatial data sets, you know. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about combining data is the value of all the data sets goes up as they get joined together. That's why these like join keys on the data are so, so important. Now, now similar right. question for um, all, all of these like analytics companies, because you're doing analytics, but then there's also companies like Orbital Insight. There's these companies like Data Robot. There's even like Accenture and Booz Allen. Like, how do you see these companies and working with these? Do you see them as partners? Do you see them as 
cooperation? How, how does that work long term? I very much see them as partners. I can imagine an ecosystem of, uh, of, of folks building apps and services on top of a planet's uh, data. I mean, you know, there's thousands of applicants. There's some, you know, pretty mainstream applications of our data, but there's a long tail. And, you know, we, we and each requires bespoke applications, uh, maybe some novel data industry knowledge, and we need to package them together to service those vertical markets. And we want to work together with folks that innovate on top of that data. You know, we, you know, Planet is not a monopoly of all the best ideas. Yeah. And, and we want to, 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 to see that happen. Uh, we work with Orbital Insight. We work with those companies to, to get access to our data to um, uh, enable them to add value for their users. And, uh, and, and we think it is absolutely helping to build the, the market. Um, the, the market opportunity is huge here. Yeah, you know, the, we don't need to go about um, thinking about this too competitively because there's just so much. I mean, you know, we see Planet as being part of the two biggest transformations in the global economy: the transformation to a digital economy and sustainable economy. So, a digital transformation is where industries like agriculture, where we improve the crop yield by twenty or forty percent by doing precision agriculture, and I can explain that a bit more in detail if you want. But like every industry, big data and AI is hitting them and they're enabling them to become more efficient. And 20 or 40% improvements in, in an industry of those sort of scale, whether that's agriculture or transportation or forest management or civil government is huge, right? Yeah, so there's absolutely. a multi-trillion dollar transition. And then it's a transition to a sustainable economy, which is also a multi-trillion dollar transition as all the governments and companies of the world are trying to measure their emissions and measure their environmental or ESG targets. They have to measure natural capital. We basically, as a global economy, especially as we're rebooting out of COVID, trying to reboot into a sustainable economy. The first thing you have to do is measure natural capital. We've been presuming it's free. Trees are free. We can cut them down. No one don't have to pay any tree, any money. We just cut it down. We, you know, we assume we can just pollute stuff into the atmosphere and into the rivers. No cost. We, and that obviously has to stop. It's completely unsustainable and it's going to kill us if we don't but at first in one of the benefits of planet is first it kind of has to be measured in a exactly. way right exactly that's okay. my yep. point when this digital transition and the sustainable transition the first step is to measure this stuff you cannot manage what you don't measure um, you just can't and so we have the data that underpins it's pretty foundational to helping those two transformations i'm not saying it's the the be all end all data set that uh, solves all of those the world's problems but it's pretty foundational to in assisting those two multi-trillion dollar transitions so when when i think about you you were asking about analytics companies i'm like oh, let's go at it there's so much let's all partner yeah okay now okay back your business so like when you and I met, we met at your office a couple of years ago. And afterwards, I, I, I took a tour of the clean room of like how you, you're building all these satellites. And it, it's like, it's super cool. And then I came out of there and I'm like, oh man, this is totally unfair. Like these guys have a totally unfair advantage when they're recruiting people. Like mm -hmm. how has like the coolness factor helped you like recruit talent? Yeah, there certainly are. It is um, space People do love space. And, people love you know, space. There's, there's no yeah. question about it. Um, across the spectrum, there's people in our sales and marketing to, of course, that people are building yeah. the, and designing the satellites and everyone in between. So um, we can't just rely on that. I mean, we, we care about yeah. giving fair wages to people. It's a bit hard to compete with the likes of Google and Facebook and Apple, you know, here in the Bay Area. Um, but we don't only hire here. And, 
and and uh, but we do hire with competitive salaries in 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 relevant verticals markets and spaces and 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 we because so we don't take that for granted uh, we we care about our, our employees um but um but yeah for sure it's an attractor so we've, had, we've never had a big problem hiring and that hasn't been our biggest challenge well, that's great. I mean, you're that's you're probably the only company that that can say that. So that that's really interesting. Now, now data companies um, generally have a lot of trouble attracting, let's say, a Series A, Series B, because in the in the beginning, the margins look really bad because it's like you have to do this fixed cost to the data that, in some ways, that kind of cost shows up in your cogs, and then like generally you put out. Now, in Planet's case. Like your startups costs were like way even higher than most data companies. Like, what advice would you give to other companies who have these high fixed costs to create core data and like telling that story? Well, speak to the right venture capitalist. That's <laughs> I mean, not many of them understand that, right? Yeah. Uh, but but actually, to your gross margins point, we have very high gross margins. Correct. And yeah, the yeah, reason yeah. Is yeah. The incremental cost of selling that image to the second customer right. is, is like 100%. You know, very yeah. round number, yeah. very yeah. close to a yeah. very round yeah. number. Yeah. Meaning that um, you know it's just the compute cost of serving the, the yeah. and, uh, 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 of that customer. It's just almost nothing. So the irony is, yes, it costs a lot to put up There's the satellite, fixed cost. Yeah. but that's a fixed cost, and thereafter it's gravy. It's it's more gravy than you think. You might go, well, it's like AWS. You know, they put these servers, and, and then they right, never right. use it. But actually, any particular compute instance can only be used once. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas right. an image can be distributed to thousands of users at almost no incremental cost. So yep. actually, it's much better than an AWS type situation in terms of margins. Data businesses are much better. I think they're fantastic businesses. You know, you can look at it like as expensive capex, or you can look at it as high barrier to entry and then yep. really really great margins uh, yes you have to find people that so there is that. a story that you have to tell in the beginning that people have to kind of come on board on this mm -hmm. vision right yep all right interesting now, now okay speaking of data businesses like another data business i admire zoom info henry shock the ceo was on world of gas recently and and i noticed that Zoom Info was actually featured in Planet's recent investor presentation. Uh, now, outside of those two companies, there aren't like a ton of like data companies that have gone public recently. Uh, what companies do you admire? What do you learn from? What do you look to to as you're building your business? Well, look, uh, um, I, the, the 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 company that I look to the most is actually Bloomberg. Um, yeah. I mentioned them already as yeah. an analogy that the, you know, they're providing data feeds into, and, and those data feeds are powering customers to make smarter decisions. I think that's what Planet is doing fundamentally. It's a very different, you know, back end, but like the front end actually doesn't look so dissimilar. And uh, I certainly think the margins and the growth and the stickiness are analogous now. Um, uh, 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 that doesn't, you know, mean, yeah. anyway, so there's no perfect analogy. And of course, they didn't recently go public. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah, that's so, right. right. So, so, you know, started 40 years ago, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and that's not the be all and end all of the company, of course, it's just a milestone, and they chose not to do it that way. Uh, but, but I, I think they're the best company to, for us to, to admire. Interesting. Okay, cool. Now, you're, you're a student of data businesses. We actually met because you sent me a cold email wanting to discuss the, the DAS Bible blog that I, that I wrote. Not many CEOs 
send cold emails out to like random bloggers? Like what other resources have you found valuable in helping you create such a successful data company? Well, apparently yours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, um, it's I look around, I, I, I mainly get advice from advisors. Um, I, I mean, I had seen your blog. I do look at, you know, blogs and try to read books and articles about uh, that are relevant in, but, you know, to, to the point of your, many of the things that you've said, that data as a subscription service are really rare businesses, yep. actually, in comparison with SaaS. Everyone knows SaaS. I mean, Everyone knows SaaS. That's, yeah. And, you know, we have these discussions in our boardroom about this because people are like keep on pushing us to that cookie cutter of a SaaS because that's what most people know and yep. they know it works. But actually, there's differences with uh, DAS companies, which is, um, for example, they much more lend themselves to be horizontal players that are relevant to lots of vertical markets. Yep. Um, whereas SaaS companies, you're more likely to be in the one vertical market. Yeah, if you were a SaaS company, you would have like a solution for the agriculture and it would take yeah. in all these feeds and stuff like right. that. And yeah, that's exactly right. So there's, yeah. there's, there's similarities and differences. And of course, I already mentioned, you know, sort of um, uh, one to many is an important feature of DAS uh, uh, models. Um, anyway, so I, 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 there are differences. And, and I think you know, the Twilight Challenge is less, uh, uh, less, less well-trodden path uh, than, than, the, than the SaaS. There's, there's more uh, of that to follow. But I, I stick to my guns that we're primarily a data company. We are also a software company because yeah. as we add analytics, it enables, per the earlier point about going up the stack to enable solutions, we do grab more value, right? And, and enable users that wouldn't otherwise be able to use it. Um, but in, in my sense, the, the core value proposition is the data. And yep. I, I actually believe that's the case for a lot of companies, but you don't think of it like that. I think Google is absolutely a data company. I mean, people say it's a search company. You can say it's a you yep. know, video company. You can say it's an AI company. You can say it's a server company to the earlier point. But I would say it's a data company. Google is not leading the world because it has the best search algorithm. Not anymore. Yep. It's because yep. it knows it has the everything best about yep. what everyone wants, yep. you know, and that data set is unrivaled, right? And, you know, you'll see them open source all their AI technology. They're not an AI company. They, you know, they talk about being AI first. Yeah. But they're not an AI company in the sense that their product isn't AI. In fact, they give that away for free, which tells you something. Yes. <laughs> That's not the asset that they think is most valuable. If they thought that was the most valuable, they would not be putting uh, uh, TensorFlow and all its modules online. Instead, yeah, and, and, yeah and, they, and they had their best engineers develop TensorFlow. It's like, you know, Jeff Dean, all these guys like are developing TensorFlow. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just give it away for free. Of course, the reason is, well, it doesn't matter. They have all the data. They can give it to anyone uh, they wanted. The yeah. asset is the data. Uh, the economists quit data is the new oil. I think there's a, a, a challenges with that analogy. Not least, <laughs> but it's really dirty. And, you know, I don't think data is dirty. Um, also, um, uh, oil is only one to one. You know, you know, you can only put so, uh, 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 a liter. Yeah. Once it, it's spent, you can't resell yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. However, in this, in a couple of senses, it's a, it's a good analogy. One is it powers lots of industries. Yep. Right. Another is you have to refine it before you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you don't just dig it out of the ground and give it to people. And um, and it's extremely valuable. It's commoditized. And people talk about data being commoditized. That doesn't mean it loses its value. Yes. <laughs> Tell the you know the world that the oil oil is not valuable and you know you're going to have some laughs. No, data is extremely valuable even as it gets commoditized. Um, and so 
I do think there's analogies. Data is powering lots of industries, just like oil it powers lots of industries. Um, again, do you think a compute many, is another a compute? I mean, you mentioned AWS. Like, is compute a good analogy as well? No, a compute again, power. Again, you can you use only one compute instance. Only one person can use one compute instance at any one time. So no, I, I think data stands on its own in being uh, you know uh, uh, one to many and not one to one. Interesting. Now, one of the things interesting about Planet is a lot of Planet's revenues come from government. And um, and of course, you're lucky when you started Planet, there was already an existing use case. But I still imagine it's very, very difficult to sell into government. What did, What's the secret? What advice would you give to others who want to sell into the government market? Persistence. Um, <laughs> wanting to sell with the, <laughs> the gov- to the, the government. I mean, I think a lot of tech firms don't think that they want to. They go, well, it would be bureaucratic yeah. or they disagree with the, some policy. And I actually think that's the wrong attitude. I, I think leaning in and being a partner. The governments are trying to do services for the citizens. Yep. And it's our job to try and help them, not just one government, but any government. And it's, it's, it's uh, you know, you know so, so persistence and wanting to work with the government, I think, is, is important. And we just today uh, announced that we're uh, expanding our contract with NASA. Um, it's really exciting what we do with them. You know, we, we provide them data to help monitor what's called key climate variables, you know, the underpinnings of our climate models. Uh, so they do a lot of research on the data, like glaciology, how fast are the glaciers melting, hydrology. Um, That's super cool. So cool. Well, yeah. And the, the announcement today was about that we were expanding our contract and they want to provision our data to everyone that's a researcher under NSF grant. So every research, there's 280,000 NSF funded researchers and they will now all be able to get access to our data. Wow. That's important for multiple reasons. One, for science and, 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 and advancing our understanding of Earth systems. Secondly, because they generate all of our use cases that underpin our clients. So actually it, it serves Planet very well. I mean, NASA's paying for this, so that's great for us. But also just think, you know, when agriculture wants to move to understand and, and leverage satellite data, they don't just do it on the fly. They base it ultimately based on scientific studies that show that our data can enable precision agriculture or sustainable agriculture practices that improve their crop yield, decrease their fertilizer use, decrease their, the, 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 the impact on the environment of that. Uh, that, that and, and so it enables them to advance their industry. Same with forestry and forest management. And so academic papers are actually what underpin um, our business. And so this is really great for us. But anyway, serving the government is something that we think it makes a lot of sense. Is there some like insanely weird, crazy use case that people wouldn't like appreciate or they wouldn't have been able to think of? You know, the agriculture one is kind of like a really interesting one, but I think one that people would grok and understand. Um, but there may be some other like random one that, that maybe people would have never thought of before. One that's happening a fair bit now, but I wouldn't have thought about it even just a, a, a year or two ago, is, is permitting. So uh, local governments are using our data to to uh, enable permit enforcement. So, uh, like, okay. so you have like new a- houses, we'll check whether they've got planning permission and then send fines to them if they're not. Or, or uh, you know, there's the, uh, the uh, uh, um, Humboldt County uses our data to, to track marijuana. Oh, <laughs> uh, got it. And you okay. have, you, it's legal, but you have to have permits. Yeah. And and they they do. And right, so there's a the classic one of Greece where they, uh, you know, they have a tax for pools. 
um, and they they show that there was way more pools in Athens than people exactly. paying taxes for it. And yeah. this, interestingly, and I was just talking to a minister about this this morning, that the this is like the speed cameras for them yeah. for permitting. And they don't want to send the person out both because it's more expensive, but also it makes it too impersonal. I mean, yeah. then people try and persuade you, well, I just had to have this swimming pool for this, or I just had to have this extra amount. No. Right, right. Or, or you, in, you, a, in a certain <laughs> countries, there might be bribes or other types exactly. of things. It's a and lot easier to show to the a picture. Yeah. Here's your bill in the mail. You were speeding. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you built a building which you weren't meant to. And, you know, it's impersonal, but it's, it's actually efficient and, and, and in the end, it, 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 it does the job. And I, I think that there's going to be a lot of that. We've, we've seen people, you know, do some incredible stuff with our data. I mean, you know, we work with Google on Maps. And you might yeah. think, well, that's an obvious application. Keep Maps up to date. But the sophistication of what's behind the scenes there is insane. So they use their cell data uh, to figure out uh, if there's a new road or a building because people yep. are suddenly driving through a field and they're like, what the heck? that automatically triggers a lat long task request to our high resolution satellites. That high resolution takes a picture and then computer vision extracts out the road or that new building or that new train station or whatever it is. And then that updates their maps. And they do that tens of thousands of times yeah. <laughs> a quarter. Amazing. And it's all humans, with, and not, it's completely automated. Humans are completely out of the loop. And that's just that's how your maps stay on <laughs> up to date. It's just crazy, but it's in a really sophisticated system. So people might think, oh, maps get updated, but like that's an incredible system. So yeah, there's a few issues. But I mean, I think you know. So those are some of the novel ones. But a lot of it's quite down to earth. I mean, you know, that agriculture use case on yeah. the infrared band, we can literally tell crop type and crop yield in every three by three meter pixel of every area of every farmer's field and you can tell crop type because you can get the temperature coming off of it and you can see a little bit what's under the soil and there's 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 other kind of things that you're getting from different spectrums yeah so our near infrared spectral band basically picks up um chlorophyll so it's yep. like soil thumb and, and we basically can measure biomass and if we trend that over time we can quickly tell the crop time um and then um uh, but the, the scale of it, agriculture represents 25% of the land mass of the earth. Amazing. Right? So you're back to your plane thing. Really hard to find planes or drones yeah. over all of that. We can fly over all of that every day and enable the farmer to do more precision agriculture every day across all those. And, and the great thing about some of these spectrum things is when you're, when you're getting imagery, if you have clouds, you can't see it that day. Whereas a lot of these other types of spectrum stuff, you can still get it through the clouds, which is really, really nice. Well, we're getting that way. I mean, actually most of our spectral bands can't go through the cloud, but what we can do is we burn through the cloud by having really regular frequency. And right, so seeing it all going gap, every day. We go yeah. Um, yeah. We are also, we just announced these hyperspectral satellites, um, which, We'll have 400 spectral bands. We're going to be launching them in a, in a, in a couple of years here. Um, and they will be able to pinpoint um, methane and CO2 point source emissions. Like here's the gas leak. Here's the house that led their gas on. Here's the waste facility. Here's the what have you. Yeah, so again, is there, is, there, is there anything on the satellite stuff where like time of, I know most satellites, they're kind of like the ideal time is let's say 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. that they want to look at it. But, but maybe there, there may be some interesting things that are going on at night that are very, very different about these particular places or something. 
Um, is there is there do you think about time of day as a, as a kind of yes. a, a particular variable? Absolutely. Yeah. And most of our fleet scans the whole world at about 11 a.m. local time, no yeah. matter where you are. So if you're in L.A., it's 11 a.m. If you're in Tokyo, it's 11 yeah. a.m. Um, and that's because it, they stay fixed with respect to the sun and the earth rotates underneath it. So yep. it's a local time of day, plus or minus. Um, and that's really useful because then you have consistent shadow angles and things like that, which enable the machine learning and analytics to be yep. much easier. So, and then, but we then also have, we complement that with the SkySat system that we can zoom in on any particular location up to 10 times per day, uh, which is useful um, for a lot of applications where you need more rapid revisit. Well, let's dive into SPACs because like, so, you know, Planet has, be, just because it's such a great business, you have many, many different options. Um, and if you want to go public, there's like eight different ways to go public. And you, you chose the SPAC route. Why did you chose that route as opposed to the other ways to potentially you know, bring liquidity to your shareholders? Well, firstly, we were excited about going public. I mean, that, that that's the, the, the first thing that motivates. I mean, we think the planet is ready to go public. Yep. Um, and the world really needs planet. <laughs> Let me explain that. So we're ready to go public. We, you know, we've got a mature satellite fleet producing a unique data set um, that is now, and now we've built a mature business on top of that. Over 100 million in revenue last year, you've seen. Uh, it's not something that we're touting it, but we, now it's public knowledge. So there yep, it is. Yep. Um, and uh, it's growing in a healthy way. And, and, and then we've spent the last year preparing our executive team and other functions, financial, legal, and so on, to be ready to go public. It was always the right destination for our company, and we were ready. Then the SPACs became hot, of course, in recent times, and, yeah. and it's an efficient mechanism to go public, and it's one where you can say a little bit more about your future and your plans, and, and I think that's good, that within reason. There, there's some challenges with SPACs, and, and, uh, but we felt, of all the companies that made sense for, to use that mechanism, it was Planet. And, and we were basically SPAC-NIP, as one of our board members <laughs> coined the term. Pretty much every SPAC under the sun wanted to, to partner with us, so we were lucky to have the choice. And we, we chose um, uh, DMY Technologies because we really loved how they saw the business, understood us as that data company, understood how we were enabling the sustainability transition, the digital transformation of the global economy, saw us in that big perspective. Um, had done the, had the, done SPACs before, so this is their fourth one, so they're experienced in that process. It's not something to be novice about. Um, and, and, and really cared and loved our mission. And so we felt that was right. And then we managed to attract really great investors into our, our pipe as well. BlackRock, which um, you know, has a big focus on ESG and ensuring their companies care about the environment and sustainability. And we can actually help them. Uh, Mark Benioff is, is, is putting in a, 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 a large check. And he's excited because he wants to dedicate 20 years of his next 20 years of his life to biodiversity. And he's been looking at every startup under the sun that's doing anything to do with sustainability in the environment and biodiversity. And he said, either they are using Planet or they need Planet's data. Basically, as he put it, all roads lead to Planet when it comes to sustainability. Basically, our data enables the, that sustainability transformation. And we have um, companies like Google coming back, uh, existing investors. And so we have a powerful set of actors with us. And we always like that because we want to build a company with great investors. All right, a couple, a couple of personal questions for you. Now, before Planet, you were, you were an accomplished scientist at NASA. What are things that one could only really learn from working at NASA? 
systems engineering. Okay, what do you mean by that? That is uh, the putting together of really complicated product pro projects that take planning, thinking about requirements, um, thinking about how all the systems interlock. So any one of the subsystems of our satellite is a really complicated. Um, yep. Our radio systems, you know, transmit 1.8 gigabits a second over a thousand kilometer range from a radio that's a few centimeters in size to a dish that's on the ground that we built ourselves that's a few meters wide somewhere on the ground. Those radios are really difficult. There's 12 subsystems of a satellite. If you open up a satellite, it's like opening up your phone. You will see these complex motherboards and, and yep. also reaction wheels and power systems and batteries and compute systems and camera systems and all that. Every subsystem we have pioneered to be a, a, a really state-of-the-art system, much, much better than you can buy anything online. And then, just like Apple does with its, its phones, you know, and then we have... Um, integrated those into a common box that's really hard <laughs> so they all work together the cameras work with the reaction wheels work with the power systems and they all work together and then those satellites then have to work with the other satellites but wh why, why 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 do you learn that so much at nasa is it because as opposed to working at qualcomm or working at some other yeah. place is it is it because they're they they only get one shot to put it in space and they and, and so they really have to go through the precision or it's because they've got 50 years of thinking about these hard problems like why is that in the water and nasa so much yeah so what, where i was going with that point about all the different steps and there's there's several more um is that um you ha ha pulling all those things together takes really thoughtful planning. It doesn't just happen. You, this is where the agile aerospace sort of mantra sort of breaks down because actually you have to plan it out at some significant level. Yep. Unlike software where you can just go, well, let's just keep iterating. And yep. See yep. If it, if it you, gotta, you also have to buy all yeah. these components. And, right. you know, it's a, yeah. No, and yeah, yeah, and that's right. And the, the satellite has to work the first time. If it doesn't, you've got a brick in space. Well, that's <laughs> annoying. And, and, and you know, you have, we have to have all these... Uh, circuits that enable us to reboot it under circumstances yeah. that, um, and the satellites again have to work together we have to have mission control systems at nasa we would have 200 people doing controls around every one satellite round wow. the clock or whatever oh my gosh we do the opposite around we have 200 satellites controlled by one guy Actually, it's not <laughs> quite like that there's a few but generally um they're building the software that automates the mission control rather yeah. than actually controlling the satellite um, but but that systems engineering takes a huge amount of planning and a huge amount of understanding. Um, it's not um, it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> to plan that out. Uh, and 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 so very few institutions on the planet have done that. NASA has done that with the Apollo project. Yep. Um, you know the the U.S. government did it with the Manhattan project. Yep. You could argue CERN has done it with yep. with CERN. There's, there are projects like this, but it's that kind of scale project. We've undertaken a minor Apollo project. We launched the largest fleet of satellites in human history. We had to put these ground stations all around the world. We had it's to crazy. develop all of this own technology ourselves. And so, and we do that all with a 500 person team. You know, um, so it's it's a lot in the small area and our NASA training to cut it short enabled us to think through the complexities of running a such a complex uh enabled us to undertake complex projects like that interesting now uh another another kind of personal question so I, I love the Tom Hanks series on HBO from the earth to the moon I don't know if you've ever seen it but I, I just absolutely love that uh -huh. uh, series is there a favorite space movie that you have 
Um, I like Star Trek. Um, if I, I, I don't often get that much time for movies, to be honest, uh, but Star Trek, I like. It's very good. I love how they always encounter different um, cultures. It's actually a philo philosophical program. Yep. <laughs> and people think of it as a as science fiction. It's actually, you know, mo much more about uh, morality and, and sociology. And I find that interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Last question we ask all of our guests. If you can go back in time, what advice do you wish you could have told your younger self? Gosh, uh, so many things. Um, stick with it. Uh, I mean, I have quite <laughs> a lot of uh, mo self intrinsic motivation, but you know, it, it, it can it, it can be tough at times when you have a lot of people saying you can't do it. No, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. And it's like, you have to go is there something I've missed or what? And, and stick with it, you know, um, if you have in doubt. Um, I really like what Gwyn Shotwell says of no assholes policy in SpaceX. <laughs> because like half the time, life's too short to Absolutely. work with people that are yeah. nasty in any way. Like, so, you know, I, I, would, I would tell myself that, um, learn some lessons there. Um, How do you do like, so if you find someone who is super talented, who's, you know, but, um, you know, but, but it's got a, a difficult personality or can maybe treat others um, in a, in a way that, 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 you know, maybe shouldn't be tolerated. Like, do you just like let that person go or do you, do you say, okay, this person tells us so we're going to put them in a box and only interact with them through an API or how do you, how do you think about that? <laughs> I love that. Interact with an API. Yeah. You, you can try that. And I have, and it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> teams work together because they're teams um and and unfortunately even if somebody is wickedly talented in an individual contributor it's no use if they can't work with everyone else yeah um, so i look for people that uh, care about our mission <laughs> who are smart and are collaborative and if you have those three things everything else uh fits into place um so that's the, my philosophy on it. All right, this this has been great. Could you tell uh, the, our World of DAS listeners a little bit more about where they can find you on the internet? And... Sure, it's quite easy. It's planet.com. Plan okay, perfect. That's easy. All right, great. <laughs> well, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being with us on World of DAS. Hey, no worries at all. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider rating this podcast and leaving a review. For more World of DAS, and DAS is D-A-A-S, you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. And also check out YouTube for videos. You can find me at Twitter at at Oren, that's A-U-R-E-N, Oren, and we'd love to hear from you. World of DAS is brought to you by SafeGraph.